This is the Dive Bomb Squadcast, presented by Dive Bomb Industries. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Dive Bomb Squadcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm your host, Asher Tolliver. For three days every November, thousands of visitors flock to Easton, Maryland to discover the best of local wildlife, nature, art, heritage, food, and fun at the annual waterfowl festival today i am joined by the vice president of the waterfowl festival and world champion caller mr teddy hoover teddy thanks for joining me today hey thanks for having me on i'm uh, i'm excited to talk to you guys absolutely where are you coming at me uh from today so right now i live in easton i'm sitting in my office just got done uh for the morning and uh after i'm done here i'm gonna give my dog a bath before we went live right here, we were just briefly talking, said you went on a little duck hunt this morning. You want to just uh, tell us about it? Yeah, we just, uh, you know, it was me and a couple of my buddies. Uh, we went on a quick little waterfowl hunt. We showed up late, got all the uh, rookie novice amateur mistakes out of the way for the first time of the year. And um, my dog did really well. So uh, I, I'm no professional dog trainer, man. I kind of have no idea what I'm doing. And I trained him myself. And for him to make three blind retrieves from a boat blind, I Should couldn't you. be more happy. Absolutely. Labrador? Or? Yeah, a little black lab. So he got himself a scrap leg and cheese sandwich for breakfast this morning. <laughs> what kind of birds did you guys kill? Uh, killed three mallards. Uh, we were actually after some teal and wood ducks, but uh, we were about 10 minutes too late, thanks to Seth Hampton. Now, when will you guys start seeing your, your black ducks? Oh, we saw some this morning. You did? Um, yeah, we will. But generally, we'll start seeing them probably a little bit later in the year when they start coming down from, you know, New Jersey areas and stuff like that. But they'll be here shortly. Um, yeah, black ducks are all over the place, but they'll be they'll be here plentiful right there towards the end of November, beginning oh, of December. Man. Yeah, it's funny. Anytime I'm talking to somebody that's – from the East Coast or Northeast, that's like the first question that comes up because we've just got such a such a crush on black ducks, man. We just don't you just don't see them here in the Mississippi Flyway. I've only seen I don't maybe three or four killed um, in this flyway, and it's just the first thing that comes to my head anytime I'm talking to a waterfowler from over that way. My first question's like, black ducks, you guys have black ducks? You know, I get so fired up. And as bad as I am, I think Forrest might actually be be worse than me. He's like, man, we have to start making a black duck decoy so we can justify taking some trips out there to kill some <laughs> black ducks. So um, It's funny, you all, uh, you all out there around the Mississippi, you love the black ducks. Oh. I hate them. I can't stand the black ducks. Oh, my gosh. That's hilarious. The best way to kill those is to take three decoys and put them about 75, 80 yards to the left or right of you and then just uh, don't blow your call at all because they <laughs> just do not come to decoys. That's awesome, man. Well, Teddy, most of this podcast today, naturally, it's going to be centered around the various world waterfowl calling contests. But I would like to talk a little bit about the festival and its rich history. Can you tell us about the origins of the Waterfowl Festival and the World Waterfowl Calling Championships? Yeah, sure. Uh, so the Waterfowl Festival itself was started in 1970. And so I don't know if anyone out there hasn't read the book by uh, 
called the Outlaw Gunner. I actually have a copy here. It's written by Der- uh, Dr. Harry Walsh. He actually he founded the Waterfowl Festival, and so this book goes into detail, like the basically market gunning for legal and illegal purposes on the Chesapeake Bay. And I mean, I don't want to say it's a blueprint, but it's very similar to a blueprint on how to bait ducks. And um, it's just it goes over the histories from hunting the early '90s, the uh, you know the two all the way up to the '30s and the '40s, and then when the canvasback disappeared, then when they came back and made comebacks. I mean, if you're a waterfowl hunter and you haven't read this book, you are uh, missing out for sure. And this is the, I think this is the 50th anniversary of the Outlaw Gunner as well. So Harry Walsh and a few others kind of got together in town Easton and started this small festival that started with about 10 or 15 booth spaces to celebrate right on the opening day of goose season. And it just grew from there. And we are celebrating our 50th anniversary this year. It's It pretty much focuses on anything as far as waterfowl conservation, waterfowl cooking, uh, hunting, obviously, all sorts of stuff. And it really celebrates the history and culture and heritage of waterfowl hunting on the eastern shore and the east coast. And that event takes place for three three days, November 12th, 13th, 14th. Is that correct? Yeah, it doesn't seem like it sometimes, but yes, it's on the it's on November twelfth, thirteenth, and fourteenth this year. But volunteering for it, and doing what I do, is a year round job, man. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. We got about eighteen, twenty thousand people to come to the town. The whole town shuts down. The wow. schools are off. Uh, I mean, you know, the kids from the schools get off Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday just to help out at the festival. Very it's cool. uh, it's pretty cool. So I imagine you guys, with that many people and this much planning, you've got countless volunteers that are working behind the scenes to make sure this thing goes smoothly. Oh, yeah. Over a 1,000, I think, was the last count in 2019. We had over a 1,000 volunteers to put that put together the festival because the festival only has three paid positions. Everything else is volunteer-run, and so – to host the doc, the diving dogs, the sportsman's tent, mm-hmm. the waterfowl artifacts. So, Asher, when you come out here, you can come and see, like, the old decoys, the punt guns, all wow. of this cool stuff. Yeah, it's it's pretty – I love the history and the tradition aspect of the festival a lot, and that's kind of why I jumped in the, the calling contest area and helped run with that. Well, Forrest and Kyle – will definitely be out there obviously because they're going to be competing in the contest this year i won't be able to make it kate won't be able to make it we'll be chasing lessers in west texas we had it scheduled well in advance well i mean this probably would have been scheduled you know even before that but we you know it's just not something we thought about but i can tell you next year i will have the dates of this waterfowl festival before I put anything on the calendar because I'm going. It just don't worry. It's it'll be the same weekend. Just same push weekend. Back okay. Well, those those dates. Soon as we get off this podcast, they're getting grayed out on the calendar because this is something that I that I do want to experience. I've heard so much about it, especially as I've gotten a little bit more involved with guys that are doing the competition calling. And most of it started when we started preparing and planning for Squad Fest, but I had an interest for it for quite a while. And then naturally when we bring Forrest and Kyle on, 
and and the background that those guys have with competition calling it just made me a little bit more interested so this is something that i will absolutely be attending next year and i'm greatly looking forward to it now you mentioned 18 to 20,000 people shutting down the town of Easton for mm-hmm. three days for these various calling contests. How many people typically st- stick around to watch these contests, like actively in the crowd <clears throat> engaged in so, the contest? So the contest itself is actually unique. We're the only contest in the country uh, that does a two day contest. Uh, so when you come to Easton, it's Friday are the preliminaries. And then after we run the first two contests, the first two rounds of every championship, then the final round is on Saturday night. So Friday night, it's a long day and it's, you know, you have people coming in and out, they'll sit there for four or five minutes and then they'll leave and we'll have probably about a hundred people in there. But then Saturday night, it's not like how it used to be back in the early nineties, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we'll have two or 300 people watching you inside okay. the high school auditorium. Very cool. So it's in an enclosed space. So that sound is really echoing off the walls of that auditorium. I'd probably say that this is the best location that a calling contest has ever been held. I can't say will be held because you never know what's going to happen. But certainly calling on that stage on Saturday night with the lights bright in your eyes and you can't really see this, the, uh, you know, the, can't really see the audience and it's sure. just you on stage man it gives you goosebumps it gives me goosebumps just thinking about mm-hmm. it bringing hey, events it's... back from covid you know this being the first one since being completely shut down do you have any concerns for the way it'll come back i'm a little bit concerned with the contest callers traveling um that's kind of one of the things that i was a little worried about as far as like safety protocols The festival and all its volunteers are doing its absolute best to maintain safety for everyone, Um, but also trying to recognize that they have, you know, their right to observe whatever they want to observe as far as masks and all of that, you know, fun stuff. But I I I meant more, more, not not concerns like with the people worried about getting COVID. I'm asking about the the attendance, not the, yeah. not the safety of who's wearing a mask, who's not wearing a mask. I'm just more asking the attendance numbers, uh, concerns with the attendance, you know, 18 to 20,000, that's significant. So you've done all this planning and preparing for, uh, the event as you've known it in the past. So, uh, attendance concerns, man, my, my, uh, my concerns are a little bit different than some of the other people on the board, if you will, but um, just based on some of the past events and some of my vendors and talking to them, I'm a little bit concerned that it's going to be above what we could handle. Uh, some of the some of the other events that we've seen throughout the year, man, they have been absolutely packed. Like state fairs, county fairs, anything outside the balloon. We have a balloon festival in East End and we have Airport Day. Those two places were absolutely nuts. So if the Waterfowl Festival, which I would say is the staple festival of the Eastern Shore, uh, happens, I mean, I wouldn't see – it wouldn't shock me if we've had all-time record high attendance, awesome. especially within the 50th year. And as long as we have good weather and it's not – 29 degrees and starting to snow um man i think uh i think we could have one of the best years we've ever seen absolutely yeah for sure i agree i think people are excited 
to get out and about and get back involved into a rhythm of the things that they've done in the past. So I completely agree. I think it's more motivation for a lot of people to come out. Just the fact that they didn't get to come last year. Now, what have been some of your goals since being in your position as vice president of the festival? Uh, so as, so when you say vice president of the festival, it, it's, it's a little bit different. So I, per, I wear a lot of hats for the festival. I run the, I run the sportsman's fest, the sportsman's party, the uh, I run the kids calling clinic, the call makers contest, and the the calling championships. So, but it's not just me; it's a, it's obviously a team of sure. volunteers, uh, my family members who are voluntold that they are participating, and you know several others. And so we work on all of this. But some of my goals, I'm trying to put the tradition of waterfowl hunting as a prevalent aspect of the festival once again because back in the 80s and the 70s the the festival was held on the opening day of goose season you had celebrities flying in like uh you know john riggin ceos of of all sorts of different companies sports athletes they were flying into the Easton airport in their private jets to go goose hunting. And then their wives would go to the waterfowl festival. Mm -hmm. And so that's the type of stuff that we want to get back to. Um, goose season for us is not on the festival any, anymore, but, um, you know, we're still just trying to say, Hey, this is, this is the, you know, goose hunting capital of the world and let's celebrate it. And, um, just trying to get back to that. my, celebrating the tradition of, of waterfowl hunting outside of that growing its impact cr giving more way to conservation in our scholarships uh you know and help supporting the other local nonprofits and local community efforts around the area and trying to make a direct impact within the, the eastern shore i mean our wma you know we're, we're trying to build duck boxes down there and do all the traditional stuff as well this is a little bit off the course that we've set, but how do you feel about the current state of waterfowling? I mean, we've mentioned heritage and tradition a few times. Do you feel like a lot of that has been lost and it's our goal for the next generation to help them learn about some of these things that have come before them? I mean, look, I've been very fortunate to hunt with some of the guys that have been doing it for decades right and they talk about the heyday of waterfowling and they talk about how the water migrating waterfowl would almost black out the sky when they would come down to the eastern shore and now personally waterfowling as a sport i feel like could is going in certain directions that don't necessarily showcase the best parts of waterfowling sometimes mm -hmm. I mean, piles and smiles. That's what you see online on the Facebook. Piles sure. and smiles, piles and smiles. Like for me, it wasn't necessarily all about that. It was kind of about having a good time and, and you know, like learning from your learning from your elders to try and grow and become a better hunter. But you didn't necessarily learn. To, you didn't necessarily have to beat your chest on social media. That's not the type of guy I am. I'm, I was always told that if you're good enough at waterfowling, goose calling, or anything like that, you know, if you're good enough, people brag for you. You don't have to brag. And I just kind of sure. look at social media like a big bragging platform. Right. 
Yeah, it's, but, it's, it's a highlight okay. reel is all it is, really. I mean, that's just me. Also, I don't really want people knowing my business too much, if you know what I mean. Sure. No, I I totally agree. I mean, as a business with Dive Bomb Industries, do what we have to do to promote a product, to show a product working on different species in different environments. But at the end of the day, I do feel like it's also a responsibility to showcase doing it the right way and doing it with respect to the game that we're pursuing. Now, I'm not going to say that we don't love big piles and big piles don't make us happy. I mean, we shot a eight-man double-double in Alberta a week ago, and it was absolutely phenomenal. It was one of the best hunts I've ever been on in my life. But I don't right. think, um, you know, we're not out there trying to say, you know, we've got it all figured out. We're the best waterfowl hunters in the world. But if we can help people be more successful in the field or improve their experience in the field while also showing them the right way to do it, feel like we've got a greater responsibility to educate the next generation of waterfowlers on many things, not just setting up decoys and how to call, but how to respect other hunters in your area, how to respect the harvest, how to respect the land that these Mm -hmm. farmers and landowners have so graciously given us permission to pursue this game on. So I feel like there's a number of responsibilities on our backs to make sure that the generation coming up appreciates and respects the resource and has the opportunity to experience the caliber of waterfowl hunting that we've gotten to. And hopefully their kids and grandkids get to do the same. Oh, exactly. And look, you and I both know that there's, there's certain people out, you know, there's certain companies and people and, and I'll call them influencers out there who do it the right way. Like you guys at Biobomb, I think you all do it awesome. But there's some guys who I would completely disagree with. And also it goes down to, you know, the, the type of ways that you hunt as well. I mean, yeah. I know we're completely off track, but for example, if I'm sitting here on Saturday and I've got you know, nothing to hunt and I can't go out and I'm watching guys from Minnesota or wherever up north and they're hunting geese and they're shooting into bunches of 200 or 300. I mean, that is fingernails down a chalkboard to me. Like I would never be able to shoot into a big bunch of geese like that over here because that's just, you're doing nothing but educating, but the geese come here to winter. Like they're, they're here. And when they get here, they stay here. Sure. Whereas their geese, they're just passing through. So they have time. You know, it's it's different things like that that sure. I, that I kind of see and promote. But, man, yeah. oh, God, that's the number one rule of goose hunting, man. You do not shoot into big bunches. Whew, that, that drives me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just all relative to where you're at in the flyway and knowing your birds, you know, like what you can do with your birds to continue to get good hunts out of them and what somebody else can do with their birds. You know, it's just so relative to where you are. Knowing your birds and what's going to help you in your area is all you can do. Now, I want to get back on track here. When we start talking about calling contests and using the words like open, live, meet, team, it can be confusing to those who do not follow contest calling and different rules and guidelines for each individual contest. I think when most folks think of Easton, they think of the granddaddy of them all, the world championship goose calling contest. But there's a lot more that goes on during this event than just crowning 
the World Goose Champion. Teddy, can you talk about the various World Championship contests that will take place and break down the objective for the callers in each of these contests? For sure. So uh, we we changed a couple of the layups this year uh, to make it, I would say, more audience-friendly and less judge-friendly. But uh, like you said, the longest-running goose calling contest right now, the really only contest to me that matters is that World Goose Calling Championship. That's the 90-second portray a picture in the judge's mind of geese at a distance, you're calling them in, you're losing them, you're calling them back, and you're putting them on the ground. Mm-hmm. That contest has been going on since 1976, and it's, you know, it is what it is. If you don't know that, then um, open your eyes a little bit. Then you've got the live duck and the live goose. So we've transitioned and done the live duck versus the meat duck, and the live duck is a 60-second no-structured routine uh, and the, the live duck, what I'd say is probably our most popular contest. Honestly, we get the most registration in the live duck and the team duck and out of any of the other contests. Mm-hmm. And that is all you have to do is go out there on and sound like ducks. We have designed this contest that if five or six mallard hens walked out on stage and started talking, they would hands down win and get the highest score possible. Mm-hmm. So the next highest person would do that versus a meat duck which would be very similar to the world goose, the 90 90 second structured routine, the live duck, 60 seconds, no structure at all. The other key feature about the live duck, it is written in our rules that if a caller goes on stage and makes a sound that may sound incredible, but is fancier or outside the realm of a possibility of a mallard hen, then that should be scored as a mistake and scored accordingly. Wow. Same same with the live goose. Live goose is 60 seconds, no structure. You make a sound that's outside the possibility of a Canada goose, then that should be scored as a mistake. Whether it sounds great, was a mistake, was was intentional, doesn't matter. That's what the judges are instructed to judge on. So, you know, like uh, I can give you an example if you want. Um, I think it was 2017, Corey Nickham, our 2019 live duck champion, came out here, and in his feed call, he started doing this, like, uh, it's almost like a roll or, or kind of like a, in his feed call, he did this weird note, and some of the judges personally didn't like that, or they didn't, they haven't heard ducks do that, so they scored that as a mistake, where other judges have heard ducks do that, and they scored it higher, because he was the only one to do it. Uh-huh. Interesting. So it's, and then we've changed the team goose this year. Previously, the team goose was 90 seconds, geese at a distance, structured routine. Mm-hmm. The team goose is a live team goose this year. So it's 60 seconds, go out there and sound like geese, but two people. I think we, we did that because, A, it's going to be easier to listen to, um, easier to follow along. But, B, it's really going to be able to separate the good callers from the bad callers because not only do you have to work together but you have to actually sound like geese at the same time Mm -hmm. and so that's going to be a little it's a little bit more of a challenge um for the contest callers some people like it um some people absolutely hate it but out of all these contests which ones do you think features the most technicality Mm. 
so personally, Asher, uh, I hate that word in goose calling, um, technicality, but um, because technicality means different things, whether you're an East Coast caller or a Midwest sure. caller. So if you're a Midwest caller, technicality could be uh, speed. It could be going fast. It could be doing triple clocks. It could be, you know, anything like that. Whereas if you're an East Coast caller, it could be the low end trip notes, or it could be sounding like geese on the ground. Um, I'd say the most technicality or the most difficulty would probably be the world goose. Um, my personal opinion. Um, second to that would be the team duck. Uh, okay. Because when you're trying to stand out in the team duck calling contest and you're trying not to sound like the other 35 teams, yeah. you've got to do something really special. Right. You mentioned East Coast callers, West Coast callers, different styles, you know, what people oh, yeah. learn as they're growing up. Do you feel like with this – competition taking place in Eastern Maryland, do you feel like it favors the guys that are on the East coast that grew up? Because I don't know who, who will be judging the world championship goose calling contest this year. Where are they? I mean, is there a first who's judging second? Is there an advantage to the style for the location of this event? Like being in Eastern Maryland. So, I mean, we're we're in a lucky enough position at Easton that we and we have in our rules that we do our best efforts to pick judges to represent all of the three major flyways. So we'll have two from the East Coast, two from the Midwest, and then either a wild card or a West Coast. Okay. Um, you know, now when we have those judges, that's we're making every effort. And the idea this year was to have all the past five champion champions come back and judge. Okay. Uh, but unfortunately I only got two of the five. Okay. So when you're mentioning favoritism, I would, Oh man, that's a, uh, that's a load. I don't question, want to call it but... favoritism more just like a, a home field advantage. You know, you're playing at a, Oh you yeah. Know, you're from there. I, I don't want to call it favoritism. Cause there's, I know there's nobody out there saying, Oh, I'm going to score this guy lower because it's I'm just just more like a home field advantage. You're playing, you know, f for example, the, you know, Houston Astros are playing at home at the juice box at Minute May. Naturally, their record is better at home than when they go on the road. Right. I guess more that's what I'm asking is there. I don't want to call it favoritism, but just maybe a little bit of a home field advantage having that style that plays so well to that area. I mean, if you're if you're talking home field advantage in that aspect outside of the judging, then I would say yeah, because you know, I mean, I went to Eastern High School. I'm used to that auditorium. Sure. Uh, you know, a lot of people have been doing it. But but if you're talking particularly the judges, the the festival committee tries its absolute best to get all the representation from so far. So it doesn't really matter. Yeah, so we're not trying to be as fair, firm. We're trying to be as fair, firm, impartial, and transparent as possible, sure. right? Especially with all the scores. Now, does it happen where we can absolutely follow the, you know, in our rules, it says that we try to have a two, two, and one East Coast, two East Coast, two Midwest, one West, one West Coast, one wild card. Does it happen all the time? 
No, people cancel, right. schedules change. Sure. I had three judges cancel on me this year. So, you know, we try our best, but I mean, if you're going to talk about East Coast versus Midwest, I'll just say this. Uh, history dictates that an all East Coast judging panel is much more receptive to Midwest judging than an all Midwest judging panel is receptive to an East Coast style of contest calling. Interesting. Colin Forrest, they mentioned there would be a live stream of all the various contests. Is that correct? Yes. So we have, we live stream the entire first round, the entire second round and all of the third round. Um, and it'll be on our Facebook page, which is the World Waterfowl Calling Championship Citizen page. And it'll also be on our title sponsors page, which would be Molly Sporting Goods. Okay. Awesome. Many of you may not know this, but Teddy has a resume chock full of wins with a couple of them with the word world in front of them. He has a world live goose calling championship in 2018, as well as a 2013 world team goose calling championship. Teddy, I assume you'll be competing in a few of these events. I will be competing in the world goose, the live goose and the team goose. Yes, sir. Who will be your partner in the team goose? Oh, I haven't decided yet. Oh, you haven't had that picked yet? Isn't it like, Oh, you're like a few weeks away and you don't even have a partner pick. You're just going to, you're just going to pick somebody there. Do you think, uh, like, I don't really know how this stuff works, man. Like I assume this is something you had set in stone for a year and then you just rolled it over to this year. You don't even have your partner yet. (laughs) I'm going to go up there and put the team on my back and carry it to the winner's circle. That's what's going to happen. I like it, man. I like it. No, oh, man, it's uh, it's funny because, like, all the guys that I call with with uh, Bay Country Calls, we all live right here. Uh, okay. Like, I hunted, I hunted with Seth Hampton this morning. I hunted with Bobby on Saturday. So, okay. you know, like, we kind of call already call well together. So, we'll okay. just go up there and kind of try and sound like these. Sweet. Well, that's cool. How are you feeling about your routine right now and where you're at uh, for these other uh, individual contests? Um, pretty terrible. Um, not really, <laughs> haven't had too much time to dedicate to practicing or as like as much time as I wanted to, uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. Uh, I can tell you that if I don't do well, the only person to blame is myself. So, you know, that's, I should have been practicing a lot more. Uh, I was blown off before I got on the phone. It's not sounding too bad, but trying to beat people like Kyle and Forrest and Trevor, it's going to be, they're going to be yeah, tough to beat. For sure. Champion of Champions, a contest that occurs just once every five years. To compete in this prestigious contest, you must first have achieved a world champion goose calling title. Obviously, this didn't happen last year due to COVID, but the last Champion of Champions in 2015, three-time world goose calling champion Robbie Iverson submitted his legacy as one of the greatest ever by winning that one. Mm -hmm. How many callers... Do you expect to compete in this year's Champion of Champions? Uh, I'd say off the top, I mean, I'm just going through a list of names now in my head. Um, I'd probably say, man, it depends on what Kyle and Trevor do. Um, If I were them and I was in their position and I had already won this contest twice, I would be calling in it. but if those two call, then I'm probably going to say about eight. Okay. My guess is eight past champions. I calculated the other day. There is, uh, let me pull this up. Um, 
it was, I want to say there's 21 people that were eligible uh, to compete in it total. And then out of the, out of the, no, I'm sorry. There's 23 total eligible competitors out of the 23, five people have already won it. And so that knocks it down to 18 and out of the 18 that were eligible two one per two people have already passed away. So I think we're down to 16 possible competitors, but you would have no, idea. I mean, Josh Neuweller could come out of the woodwork. Dave Coleman could blow his tube call. Uh, you know, I don't think you'll see, um, an Alan McCree, you might see a Keith McGowan, uh, you might see a field Hundle. you know, the names I would be interested to watch would be the, the field Hundle, the Mitch Hughes, the, sure. the Trevors, Kyle Hunter, you know, right. actually those, those five would make an awesome calling contest. Yeah. Absolutely. Are there any guys that are, you were talking through kind of the eligible guys and some wild card surprises that could come back. Are there any guys that you think could come back that, you know, they don't, they don't really interested in it. They don't call much, but just, just for the heck of it, you know, they come back and participate just for the history and being a part of it. You know, even if they know that they're not going to, they're not going to blow with what the guys are blowing that are practicing all the time. But are there many guys that you think may come back? like that i, I mean Some i think so cool guys you know because i'm thinking about the championship in uh, the in stuttgart in the main street sometimes there's you know the guys that'll come back just from the history of it they're not coming back to win they're just it, it's just it's neat you know they're coming back to be a part of it oh yeah i think you'll i think tim kobe will probably make an appearance and if you don't know tim he's the uh first the first ever winner of the world goose con championship cool. and he won the first three years um, I tried to get him to judge, but he uh, couldn't make it. So he might actually call, come and compete or at least show up. Dude. He'll have some old schooler guys. You know, Dave Coleman, he's our three-time live boost champion. Mm-hmm. And he can't, He won the three lives. Last one was in 17. And then he, can, he won in 81, I think, 1981. Awesome. So he could come back and compete. Um, and if he does uh, – there's not many people who sound as much like a goose as he does. That's awesome. Flying geese. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, if you, if Josh comes back and blows his flu call, that'd be pretty impressive. You know, that would be kind of neat, but you might have a couple of those guys, but the heavy hitters are going to be the heavy hitters. Sure. What do you feel like your biggest strength is as a caller? My my biggest strength mm-hmm. is probably uh, probably a mix of my power because uh, um, when you hear me blow a goose call, I'm hands down the loudest goose call on stage. Uh, there's not even a close second. And then um, I don't know, man. I try I try to like ride that fence line of with notes that eh, I mean, do you like it or do you hate it? Uh, you know, it's, some of the notes that I do is kind of like you're either going to love it or you're not, or you're going to hate it. So I would say that I don't really know what my strengths are. I know I can tell you what my weaknesses are a hundred percent. So, 
Uh, my weaknesses are um, the first 15 seconds of my greeting call is my weakness. Has always been the, my weakness um, and probably will continue to be my weakness. I cannot figure out how to smoothly come out of the hail calls and transition to my speed because I've got the speed. I've, I can flow everything else. My comeback call is really good. But, man, I just cannot figure out the greeting call for some reason. I have a hard time going from slow to fast. I'm good going from fast to slow, but slow to fast, I ride that struggle bus. <laughs> Naturally, all of us here at Dive Bomb, we're going to be following this year's events very closely, particularly the World Championship Team Live Goose, where Forrest and Kyle will be competing. And, of course, rooting for a three-peat from Kyle and the world championship. Do you have any personal predictions on who will be crowned the 2021 world goose calling champion? Uh, personal predictions. Um, if Kyle's on his game, he's going to be tough to beat. Um, if, if Trevor is on his game, he's going to be tough to beat. And if Lee Williams, if Lee Williams can, do what he has been sending me on the phone they're all it's going to be a close contest but as far mm -hmm. as predictions with the judging list that i'm looking at and i i don't really know i never told you what the, who the judges are if you want to know oh, yeah yeah uh so the world goose judges are Corey nickham or as i like call him cody cody nickham um after you tell me John, the judges you're gonna have to tell me the backstory on that Oh, I will. Okay. Um, you might want to, you, we might have to take that one. Off oh, that might be, that. oh, that might be an off the record story. <laughs> yeah, okay. that's probably an off the record story. I got story. you. Okay, 10-4. Um, then we've got John Taylor, who's been calling in this contest since 1989, the 2005 champion of champions and the 98 world champion. Sean Mann, the, I think he is 85 and 87 or 86 and 88. I can't remember. He won the first ever champion of champions in 95. Then you've got uh, Al Dagger, and Al has the only person in this contest, the only person who's called in all five decades of this contest. So cool. his first year was 1979, and his last year was uh, 2018. And he is calling this year, whether he wants to or not, I'll pay his entry fee. And then... Uh, George Lynch, who is yep. has obviously been around the business and judged multiple world champions. Mm -hmm. uh, then we've got we're going on a little bit different strategy for the live goose and the live duck this year. Um, we've got your buddy judging the live duck and the team duck. Who's that? Doctor Doug Osborne. Oh, really? Very yeah. cool. Yeah. So cool. I mean, he is. I would say that he probably gets paid to listen to ducks. So he would be very, very qualified to judge the live duck calling contest. Definitely. Then he recommended Ryan Askren, the uh, photographer for, I think he, I think he picks photos for tangle free. Tangle free yeah. And, and he does um, the, I think he tracks the resident goose population in Chicago. I want to say, or okay. that's, a, that's what he wrote his uh, thesis on. And then, Ethan Massey is the DU biologist for the southeastern region. Uh, I think it's South Carolina, North Carolina. Okay. I like and we've it. got, yeah, doing a little bit different strategy. Then we've got a mix of uh, some other contest callers like uh, Mike Smothers, um, who is a dark horse to win the live goose this year. Uh, Jeremy Romaine, um, 
Lee Williams, George is going to be, George is going to have a busy weekend. He's judging a lot of contests. Then um, Blair Baltus, who has been uh, guiding, running hunting parties and calling in contests since the early 70s. Um, and he's got some cool stories. You want to talk to him? And then uh, and, um, John Walls, Mike Benjamin, Sean Mann, John Taylor, and Corey are judging the champion of champions. Okay. Put you on the spot just real quick. Who's the greatest of all time? Mm, the greatest goose or duck caller? Mm-hmm. Goose. Goose? Yeah. Um, okay, so the greatest call operator and the greatest contest caller, you can't really argue with probably Hunter. Um, he's not my favorite, but he's, you can't really argue with what he's done. Him or Robbie or Big Sean. I mean, Big Sean never won a world championship, but he's won every other contest in the country three times. Um, my favorites though, I gotta tell you my favorite, probably Mitch. Um, you know what? I'm going to change it. I'm probably going to say Mitch Hughes is probably the best of all time. He just uh, stuck with it after he won his three world titles. Then, um, then Jerry Haggerty was a bad man with the flute, and he could do things with geese that I've never, you know, like some of the, I've never hunted with the dude, but just some of the stories that 20 or 30 different people told me, and watching some old VHS tapes of him. My God. And then, um, let's see. What about Live Goose Caller? Dave Coleman. Best ever? Yep. It's not, it's not close. Awesome. Not what kind close. Of, what kind of I mean, calls Scott did, was awesome. Kind of, but like, what kind of calls did he blow? Did he or did I? Dave. Dave, Dave blew a tube call made out of a firehouse door no kidding yeah so the old chestertown which is where he grew up hunting uh the big wooden door he had a tube call made out of it and put a piece of latex on it and made it sound like the most realistic goose call i've ever heard in my life no kidding that's awesome Think just thinking about it, Asher puts shivers down my back. Like it was, uh, is there sound files on YouTube? Is there videos of him calling yeah, online? There's a video on our Facebook page. Oh man, it, the video doesn't even do it justice. Like he hits that, thank you, thank you, thank you, and you're like, oh my god, that's sweet. Yeah, who do you think is uh, who do you think's overdue on winning one? Who do you think is right there to just the cards haven't fallen, you know, in that um, direction yet, but they're due. Man, there's like uh, at least five people. Um, John Walls, Lee Williams, uh, Bobby, Mike. I'd like to say myself. Um, yeah, those five. What I would that mean that. to you being a local guy to win? that contest dude i've been doing contest calling i'll, I'll never forget the one when i made the decision because i was in 2006 i watched mitch hughes win his first world title and i went to high school with mitch and um 
And I was sitting there thinking, well, if he can do it, I can do it. And so I have been trying to win this contest since 2006. Um, you know, the guy who it, it's basically shaped what I do for a living now, like it would mean the world to me. It would also mean that I would never have to call in another calling contest because the chances of me retiring after I win the world title are pretty high. Um, just because I want to focus on other things and like growing contest calling as a sport. Mm-hmm. But, um, man, like it would just, oh, I, can't, I can't put it in words how much it would mean to me. Yeah. You just mentioned growing contest calling as a sport. As you know, obviously we held our own calling event at Squad Fest this summer. How do you think we can do that? Continue to grow contest calling nationwide? Man, I've got a crazy idea. Uh, I'd love to try and impl- implement it at, at Easton. But I really think that not only contest callers, but the contests across the country need to band together to help promote the sport. There needs to be no more competing against other calling contests. And we need, we need to all work together to get juniors involved and get new people and, and not force these people to get into their first contest at the Oregon State and blow against Kyle Jones. You know what I mean? Or or promote something whereas maybe you look at how shooting does with the different levels of, of amateur versus professional and you know, do something along those lines. Or you treat contest calling as a whole like the PGA and you do an overall sponsorship of all calling contests across the country and then you could help contest organizers with sponsorships, organization, finding judges. I mean, that's a big thing that mm-hmm. I'm sure you probably realize is yeah. putting on putting on a calling contest is no small feat. Right. And and you can't just slap it together. I mean, yeah. a lot of people don't know where they're going where they what to do when they get started. And then let's say they screw something up and people are on the internet blasting them. Right. But they just didn't know any better. So there's no there's no real resources out there to help anyone start calling contests and mm-hmm. you know i think the kids and, and i think the junior contest it, it'll come it's just we, we need to be a little bit more organized as a sport as a whole i, I that's my crazy idea yeah. you know the pca the professional callers association Teddy, is there anything else about the 2021 Waterfowl Festival you'd like our listeners to know or where they can find more information if they're interested in coming out? Yeah, for sure. There's, uh, you know, obviously please visit our website. Um, We're having raffles and and all sorts of giveaways and stuff on our website and our Facebook pages to see different events and win different Yeti prizes and all of these fun stuff. Uh, Then you can also download our app as well. It's going to be Waterfowl Festival app. And then, um, you know, just watch the live stream. And if you can, come out to the contest. It'll be a big time. We're having a sportman's, a sporting party afterwards. Uh, you know, it's it'll be a lot of fun. Hopefully we can see more and more people get into the sport and celebrate waterfowl. Absolutely. November 12th through 14th. You guys get out there if you get a chance. I know they have been working very, very hard all year now two years to get this thing together and i've never been there but i have no doubt just talking to you and 
talking to others in the industry from everything I've heard that it's going to be absolutely awesome. One heck of a good time. Teddy, we appreciate what you guys are doing for the sport of waterfowling. We are excited to be a part of it this year as a sponsor. And um, I sure appreciate you joining me today, sir. Yeah, Matt. Oh, I completely forgot to thank you guys as a sponsor. Yeah. I mean, we couldn't do it without you guys, but um, yeah, no, thank you for having me. It's always fun talking contest calling with anybody who wants to listen. For sure. And, uh, you know, thanks for, thanks for highlighting the festival. Yeah. We really try our hardest to put on a good show. So we'd love some support. Absolutely, man. I can tell you what I will be watching that live stream, whether I am in the blind or I'm at dinner or whatever I'm doing, I'm going to be watching that thing and I'm going to be hanging on with every single caller. Honestly, at this point, most of these guys that are, you know, at the top end, you know, or at least favorites, I've formed some sort of relationship, not personal with all of them, but a lot of these guys I have formed um, a little bit of a relationship with over, you know, the last year, year and a half. And, just great guys overall a lot of great guys obviously were you know partial to Forrest and Kyle as I I work hand in hand with them every single day but man there's a number of guys that I would just be as as happy as I could possibly be for them if they if they take that thing home you know so I'm going to be watching I can't wait to see how it all shakes out I know it's going to be ran absolutely like a well-oiled machine and it'll be fun to fun to follow along teddy i hope you have a great rest of your day and anything comes up or have any questions whatever it may be don't hesitate please reach out and um i got a question for you before i let you go sure you let me go yeah who's gonna win that's not named kyle or forrest (laughs) gosh dog Mm-hmm. It's hard not to say Trevor. Um, right. He blew really well at our contest at Squad Fest, and I don't think he really had been practicing very much. He's very talented, you know, duck call, goose call. There's no denying that. Mike Benjamin, I feel like, has been pretty lights out this year as well. Mike is same type of deal, just ducky. Goosey, I mean, the guy just speaks waterfowl. Yep. Mm, it's hard to say. I think one of those two guys, um, if if Kyle doesn't win, you know, I've got I've got Kyle winning. You know, I want Kyle to win. Forrest, obviously, yeah. as well. Um, Kyle and Forrest. But, yeah, not name those two guys. It's hard to pick between Trevor and Mike. I, I want to say – I want to say Mike. I want to say if if one of those guys don't win, that Mike Benjamin's going to win, and I'd be tickled mm-hmm. to death for him. Mike is just a absolute stand up quality human being. I got to meet Mike for the first time last year down in Texas. We held a a online calling contest during COVID, and the mm-hmm. winner got to go on a guided hunt with uh, Cadillac Creek and Mike, and that's where I met. That's actually where I met Corey Nickham for the first time as well, and. Since then, I've, you know, formed a, a really nice relationship with both of those guys. And, you know, every time they're calling, I'm watching them just as hard as I'm watching any of these other guys because I just know what kind of quality quality individuals they are. Just good, good dudes that mean well and 
and they're they're very easy to root for. So, yeah, we'll see what happens, man. I no matter what, I mean, all these guys, they're just they're so freaking good, and I you know I've got such respect for what they're able to do and the amount of of practice that goes into this stuff because anytime you want to achieve a level that's far beyond what people that are, that are just good Mm -hmm. can do it, just the amount of commitment and dedication to it is, is very admirable. And so all of these guys, you know, anybody that wins, they, they deserve to win. They've put the work in, they deserve it and they deserve, um, you know, the, the good vibes and the good feelings and everything that comes with it. So I can't wait to, I judge that, that live. Uh, I judged your live goose calling um, online contest. Yes, live you did. Contest. Yep. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you what, and I, I tell this to anybody who asks me that um, I agree with you that it takes a lot of hard work and dedication to become good at the craft of contest calling. Absolutely. However, there's a difference between recipes and ingredients, and out of the eighty some callers that blew that live goose calling contest online. Mm-hmm. 40 of them had the ingredients to compete against Kyle, Mike, Trevor, and me and everyone else who competes against, who competes on the world stage. Mm-hmm. You have the ingredients, they have the ability to make the notes, they have, they can do anything they want on a goose call. It just comes down to putting, down, putting Put together, together that good recipe. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. If you're listening, if you can make the notes you can do the things you need to do on a goose call. Ask some of these guys, some questions, send them a message, listen to their routines on YouTube or Facebook. And if you're having trouble with uh, some sort of transition or trying to even figure out how to put all your notes together, that's one reason a lot of these guys are so easy to root for, because I think every single one of them I've ever talked to or sent somebody their direction for help every single one of them have been more than willing to help them however they can. It's not like, Ooh, I don't want to help this guy. He's really good. He could be better than me. It's like, no, I've, I've never, I've never talked to one guy that was like that. Every single one of them was like, yeah, send him over. I'll help him out. I'll do whatever uh, I can. I'll send him some sound files. So I've made that out to some people. Oh, you, you taught somebody and then they ended up being better than you. Yeah, his name's Bobby Heim. Have you heard of him? <laughs> I have. I've never met Bobby, but I've heard so many people speak very, very highly of him, and I've heard a lot of people reference him as their their uh, pick to to take one home. So, uh, no, I haven't met him, but I've heard a lot of great things about him and his ability on a call. Yeah, but either way, I mean, you know, whether he's better than me or whether he beats me, it, it doesn't matter. If I make him better than me and he starts beating me or anybody's listening on this podcast, you know, if they're going to – if they want to get better on a goose call and they want to start competing in contests, it's not necessarily getting better on a goose call. It's just putting everything together to make it sound right. And if I make you better and you start beating me in contests, that means I have to work that much more harder. Right. right. And and it makes the competition level that much higher. So, um, and it's funny because you finally say that about Kyle, I went to Virginia and Virginia a couple weekends ago when they had a calling contest out there and I'm watching the juniors and and then I get ready to go back in the juniors and judge and you don't really hear a lot of of good juniors and this kid comes out and absolutely smokes this routine I mean crushes it and I'm like man who is this coming from Virginia 
And it turns out it was uh, the guy that went to Squatch Fest, um, and he won the Junior Goose out there. Uh, now yeah. his name escapes is it, me. But is Kyle's it, been is it Logan Hebner? I don't think it was Logan. I want to say his name was uh, Dylan or something like that. Anyways, this kid was crushing it. And he, you can obviously tell he was working with Kyle. He sounded just like That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, learn from the people that are have reached the point where you want to go. That's the way I look at it. You learn from somebody that's doing what you want to do. You know, that's, oh, yeah. that's the, uh, that's the best advice that I can possibly give, whether it's a, it really doesn't matter whether it applies to contest calling or a real estate agent or an electrician or a plumber or whatever it may be. You learn from somebody that's excels at what they do. And they're at the point that you want to reach. And ultimately you take their advice you learn from it. You put your uni- mm-hmm. your own unique uh, twist and spin to it, and see where the chips that's, fall. That's the point in contest calling that's the most difficult. I will say that is when you get to the point where you can replicate others' routines, coming up to coming up with a routine sounding like how you sound or what makes you sound the best. Mm-hmm. That's the most difficult part. Once you get over that hill, it's gravy though. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, Teddy, I appreciate your time today, man. I appreciate you joining me. I enjoyed this this talk, and I can't wait to tune into the Waterfowl Festival here in a couple weeks, man. Yeah, thank you for your time. Like I said, um, you know, if you guys need anything, I'm looking forward to seeing Kyle and Forrest. I haven't seen them in a couple of years, so it'll be a, it'll be a good time. Hopefully, we'll see you in 2022. Definitely, I'll be there, my friend. Well, I will be at Squadfest when you guys have it next year, right? Well, I'll see you sooner than Easton 2022 then. There we go. <laughs> well, Teddy, thank you, man. I will uh we'll talk to you soon, buddy. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. See. You. All right. There it is. All about the Waterfowl Festival coming up in Easton, Maryland. These guys have done a great job pushing, promoting, putting all the pieces in place to make sure the event is a smashing success the season to this point has been absolutely awesome we can only pray that it continues to be half as good as what it's been so far thank you all so much for tuning in spending a bit of your day with us until next time y'all be good thank you for listening to the dive bomb squadcast 